this summer's been really strange for me. I mentioned it last week, but uh, you know, I was on this uh, series on love, and and I was like, you know, four or five. You know, lessons into it. I've got about four, three or four more, but I can't get to it. And every Sunday I came to get up here, it's like God was doing something else. And, you know, let me tell you what I think what's, what's going on is how many know Jesus really is coming back? And God has a passion. Y'all, the more I hang around Him, I just can't tell you how much He loves you. God loves people. You hear me? God loves people. And He wants as many people in heaven with Him as, as possible. How many hear me? There's a lot of people that have never heard the name Jesus and He wants us to get excited about Him. And He wants to bring His power in such a way that He demonstrates His people who Himself to people that don't know Him. There's, there's a power coming. The power of God is coming back to the church all over the earth. And He wants us in America to be involved in that. How many believe that? So, you know, I've had some messages that are a bit challenging. It's a little out of my comfort zone, but you know, it feels like God's going there. So uh, this is lesson number seven. If you haven't heard anything we said, I started this on June the 2nd and then I had vacation in June. But right when I got back from vacation, we started right back with this. Um, I think the 14th of July, I talked about 21 things that are huge issues in American culture that we seem to have embraced as uh as, as being okay, even in the church. And uh, that was quite a challenge. And, and I've talked about the fact that God loves us. And the issue today in our culture is this. Everybody believes that God loves them. I mean, really? Yeah. I mean, I hear it. I, I hear it from songwriters, singers who don't claim to know the Lord. I, I hear it for, from people who just, you know, don't claim to be Christians, but they know that God loves them. But you know, God loves every single person who never makes it to heaven. God loves every person who has to take the detour and, and they end up spending eternity in a place called the lake of fire. He loves them too. How many know God loved Jesus? How many know Jesus loved Judas? Judas spent three and a half years with Jesus. He was right there in the inner circle on his team. And, and Jesus loved Judas. But I can't tell you that you'll find Judas in heaven. How many hear me? So it's a big challenge today. Everybody knows that God loves them. What we have not understood, particularly in America, is God is love, but there's one part of His character that we haven't embraced, and that is He's holy. And He, you know, the Bible distinguishes Him uh, with two things that are similar. Number one, fire. How many know fire is a purifier? And you know, your autoclave, the medical community autoclaves things that are used over and over again in, uh, in, um, in emergency rooms and then uh, such. So, because, because fire purifies. But how many know also fire reveals? It brings impurities to the surface. God has uh, revealed His fire. Ezekiel saw God. This is not in my notes. Lord, help me. It just comes out. It's like I'm standing on something and I don't... It's just amazing how this works. But, you know, Ezekiel saw God as a fire from the waist up and the waist down. He was fire. When, when, uh, when uh, Moses saw God on top of Mount Sinai, God was so bright that He glowed. Moses' face glowed with the glory of God. God's also typified by light. And that's what happened to Moses on top of of Mount Sinai. Moses was there 40 days and 40 nights sustained by the presence of God on a supernatural fast. Don't try to fast 40 days. How many hear me? He had God's help. He was in God's presence. But the presence got into his skin. 
and it glowed. Isn't that incredible? And I don't know, it's the funniest thing. I was praying last couple of days, you know, thinking about having to preach and stuff. And this, this scripture kept coming to me. First Timothy 6, 16. He alone can never die and lives in light so bright that no human can approach him. No human eyes have ever seen him nor ever will. All honor and power to him forever. Amen, he says in First Timothy 6, 16. God is light our human bodies can't contain the presence of god can't even get near him because because we're so impure god is bright god is light god is fire how many hear me and then when when you get near god it exposes all of the defects in you because that's what light does how many hear me the brighter the light the more clearly defects are shown I told you I had a painting business many years ago. I've mentioned this several weeks ago. And, and we would put a bright light, a halogen lamp up against a brand new wall. You have to sand new walls down when you build a house and you paint. You have to sand and such. And you have to look for quote-unquote holidays places where the paint doesn't adhere or rough abrasive places on the wall. You can't see them with the human eye. But you know, uh, 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 not detected by light. But when you put a light up against the wall, it shows the defects. And that's what... That's what the presence of God does. How many hear what I'm saying? It shows who we, who we really, really are. And uh, Isaiah 6, Isaiah, it was the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah 6, 1, that I saw the Lord. Isaiah actually uh, had a glimpse into heaven, saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces and Two wings they covered their feet, with two they flew. And they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with His glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundation, and the entire building was filled with smoke, the glory of God. Then, then I said, it's all over, I'm doomed, for I am a sinful man. Now look at his response when the presence of God came. I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips, yet I've seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Wow. Anytime you experience the true presence of God, it brings conviction. How many hear me? We, we don't know a lot about that today in America. We've had a, a kind of ministry and preaching a lot of times in our churches that we don't reveal who people are so they can get to know the glory of God. And can I talk about this today? The, the, under, uh, the overarching theme of all of this is God loves us immensely. How many hear that? And I've got it in my notes and I bolded it in my personal notes in black. black. God has an insatiable desire to get close to us. Have you ever thought about that? God wants to get close to you. You say, well, I'm not worthy. You're right and neither am I. But He's made a way for us to get close to Him. How many hear me? You know, in our fallen state, our sinful state, it keeps God away. But His whole goal and desire and the whole reason that the Bible was revealed by the Holy Spirit to over 40 different people over a period of 14 to 1600 years is so that we could understand who the invisible God is, what He's like, what His character's like. Uh, and so we can get to know Him. And God has revealed His Son Jesus to us. And we find that on the pages of the Holy Bible. How many hear me? So how many know that's really important? 
Jesus came to demonstrate how much God loves us. How many hear me? How many know that Jesus, when He was here, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How many know Jesus didn't hang out with the religious people behind church church walls? Jesus, Jesus went to the people who were just everyday people who didn't claim to know God, didn't even really want to know God. He just hung out with them and ate, and He didn't participate in their wrong. But you know what He did? He ate with them, He laughed with them. He talked with them, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. There was one man, Zacchaeus, who was a short man, and he was a thief. He was probably the biggest thief in the country, had a big house because he stole everybody's money. Jesus went, he said, I'm coming to your house to eat tonight. That's how Jesus was. That's how God is. He's not trying to stay away. He wants to draw near. Isn't that awesome? Say it out loud. God wants to draw near to me. Now, see, that's awesome to me. I always felt like I was the black sheep of my family because of the things I got involved in as a, as a teenager. But you know what? I found out that God loved me and he wanted to get close to me. An insatiable desire to get close. And that's why Jesus came. He's the, he's the gap. He bridges the gap between God and man. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In 2 Corinthians 5.19, for God was in Christ. Look at this, reconciling the world to himself. Do you know God has a desire to reconcile all of us to himself? You say, well, pastor, I've got things in my life that nobody knows about. I'm rather ashamed of them. God loves you in your shame. And God loves us in our sin. How many hear me? And he's got a way to move us out of it so he can get close to us. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. When I came to the Lord, the thing that drew me, a guy came to me one day and I, I promised I wasn't walking, wasn't even thinking about God. And he came to me and he said, you know, God's not holding your sins against you. And at the time, that was, you know, you understood what sin was in America in the 1970s. You don't even understand the term today. But I, I thought, well, no, I didn't know that he was not holding my sins against me. And he read that verse to me and, and he says, not, God's not, God's not angry because of your sin. He wants you to come to Jesus. And if you'll come to Jesus, God will take care of your sin. I'd never heard that. I'd been to church for 18 years almost and hadn't heard that. So it says, it says, and gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the sin offering so we could be made right with God. Isn't that good? Through Christ. Now today, uh, can I just talk to you as a pastor? This is a concern I personally have. Uh, I was, you know, I, I jokingly say I cut my teeth on church, wooden church benches. You're supposed to laugh, but I guess that wasn't funny. You know, kids have to chew on something for their teeth to come through the gums. I chewed on the church bench. Because I was there three times a week, and then every night if we had revival. How many know what revival services are? That was just my life. A lot of people aren't ever, I know a lot of my friends never darkened the door of a church, but I did. But you know what I found out? You can go to church, but what happens at church not get inside you? 
And my concern is that's happening all over America today. Here's a 21-year-old boy. Father, we pray for the young man who committed this terrible, terrible tragedy. Bring him to your son. Terrible thing. But here in America, it's possible to be, be around the things of God, but the things of God not get in you. And many years ago, a man named John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, United Methodist Churches, he said this, there is, a, there is a belief system that looks a lot like Christianity, but it's a substitute, it's false. I'm using my terms. And he said there's a lot of people that have a mental assent or they mentally agree to salvation. They mentally agree to certain beliefs, but they don't really have a heart change. So I want to, can I challenge me? Can I challenge you as a pastor? Just person to person? You may have been in our church. Listen, your children could have been raised in our church and not really be born again. Listen, there's a crisis in, uh, you know, one of the uh, ages of human development is that, is, that, is that teenage time, you know. And that's a time where you separate, you learn to separate from your parents, learn what you believe versus what they taught you. Do you want to believe what and live by what they taught you? Or do you want another value system? How many know, how many know every teenager goes through that? If you've got teenagers, they're trying to get away from you. I used to walk about 10 steps ahead of my mother in the mall, and she always wondered, why are my kids? I'd take them out. They're not walking near me. Why? Because they get a certain age, and they don't want to be around you. They want to be them apart from you. When people see them, they don't want them to see you. Because God's got this honing device in them. Learn to be yourself. Learn what you want to believe. But see, a lot of, a lot of teenagers, you can be raised in church, and not personally identify with Jesus yourself. How many hear me? Huh? You could have been raised in a church world all of your life, so to speak, and not really personally imbib the truths that are preached and taught. How many hear me? So the question, here's a question. Has your life changed since you've met Jesus? Really? Has, 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 he, has he changed how you live your life? See, that's a big question, isn't it? You know, we're encouraged by the Apostle Paul in, I think it's 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Uh, test yourselves. See whether you be in the faith. And how many know we're not saved by what we do? Is that true? But what, how we live shows what's inside of us. Yes or no? It's kind of a funny way to think about it, but it's true. So I, I want to talk to you about four major points here. Four things to know about a serious walk with God. And then the overarching question. And this is the question for really all of us in 21st century culture. A culture that's uh, just really seated in America, particularly in self-centered living. Doing what I want to do at the expense of other people. How many know that's not the way we're supposed to be living? We're supposed to live the self-denied life. Jesus told us that, he wanted, that we're, if we're going to find Him, we have to crucify ourselves. That, is, that means put ourselves last and put Him first. Yes or no? So here are four things. I, I just want to talk about these. Can, can we just be real here? So number one, we all need to understand that we are sinners in need of a Savior. That is not popular today. How many hear me? 
Churches are not preaching. And I mentioned this last week that, that there is a such thing as sin. And most people aren't aware. In American culture today, there's so much, uh, I don't know what you call it, pop psychology and such. And so many, so many self-help books. If you go to a bookstore, now we just go online to Amazon. But, you know, there's so many self-help books. Is that true? How to be the better you. How to do this. How to be better at this. Nothing wrong with that necessarily, but there's an absence of really talk about the true depravity of man. We are, we are sinners. We're away from God. We're not nice, sweet people. I've got these five grandchildren, but the overarching thought that I have in my mind is their mommy and daddy, that is my children, are going to have to at some point sit them down and really challenge their life. They need to be disciplined. Yes or no? A lot of people don't believe in discipline today. Look what it's creating in our schools, in our culture. How many hear me? Somebody's going to have to sit my grandchildren down though. And they're going to have to say, you know what? You're a sinner. You're in need of a Savior. Your heart is wicked. You're away from God. See, those are unpleasant thoughts. But if you love somebody, you know, the people I appreciate the most in my life are the people who have told me the truth. Is that true? So somebody needs to tell them, and I believe my children will do that, all of them. I'm believing they will. I'm praying for my uh, grandchildren's salvation. Susan and I, we had four beautiful children. We had to sit them all down. We had to talk to them about what Jesus is, who Jesus is, what sin is. How many hear me? That's not done a lot in our culture. You don't even hear it in churches a lot. Is that true or not? You know, and then I got to thinking about this. You know, uh, most people aren't aware of their sins, so they're not looking for a Savior. So when you talk about, are you saved? They say, saved from what? I don't know, what am I supposed to be saved? Well, it's this thing. Well, what is, we don't even know what sin is. How many hear what I'm saying? So, and then I got to thinking about this, you know, if, uh, if you're walking down the I, I bicycle on the Noose River, if you're walking down the Noose River Trail and you got the river on one side and trees on the other and you're just enjoying a bright, sunshiny day, some beautiful weather and just walking, you have no need for a parachute. You wouldn't put a parachute, would you put a parachute on your back? No, you're not in the air, you're on the ground. But you know what? If you were, uh, if you were 10,000 feet elevation in a single engine plane and suddenly the engine went out, you'd be glad to have a parachute on your back. Woe be to you if the plane's going down, the pilot can't control it, you got a bail and there's no parachute. You'd thank your God for a parachute. Is that right? Well, see, unless you know who you are and how wasted life is apart from Christ Jesus. You don't even know you need that parachute called salvation. Same thing. Same thing. How many, you know, you know, a life jacket or, uh, you know, something like that. A life jacket or uh, a life preserver. If you're walking through the Sahara Desert, you're not thinking about a, you're not thinking about a life preserver. You're not thinking about a life jacket. You're thinking about a big bottle of water. Right? Yeah. But if you're on a, if you were on a, a vessel, you know, a fishing vessel perhaps, and you're out in the middle of the ocean, a big storm comes up, knocks a hole in the bottom of the boat, and, and you're going down and you're several miles out from land, you know, you'd be really glad to have a life jacket then, right? Not in the desert, but on the water. So again, the same way. And still we know our need for Jesus. We don't even... We don't even want Him or even talk about it. And so again, today it's become really taboo to mention 
that there's some deficiency in life in some way. In fact, here's the, here's the politically correct culture of America today. You don't talk about somebody's deficiency. You don't talk about their need. You don't talk about their lack. Because if you talk about a person, a person needing Jesus as Savior because they're a sinner, you're judging them. And today it's not politically correct to call sin what it is when it is sin. Yes or no? If you do that today, people, I just had a conversation with one of my staff members this morning on this topic. Today, if you even mention sin in church, it becomes, some people think that's almost a political topic. It's not a political topic. It's a spiritual topic. How many hear me? And when I call a certain behavior Wrong in the eyes of God because the Bible says it's wrong. That's not personally judging a person. That's judging a behavior. We're to judge righteous judgment. What's unrighteous judgment? Unrighteous judgment is when I, when I judge why a pit person did this, said this, did this, went there, blah, blah. I don't know that. I don't know their motives. But we can judge a tree by the fruit it bears, Jesus said in Matthew 7. Yes or no? That's righteous judgment. And again, it's really strange even to use the term judgment. But again, the whole overarching idea is it's become taboo even in America to talk about the subject of sin because we want to be so positive about everything. How many know you can't overcome a problem until you recognize you have it? Here's a quote from Holman Christian Standard Bible. It's the Bible that I read in the mornings. I have one on my on my iPad, and I have lots of different translations, but this is a study Bible, the Holman Christian Standard Study Bible, and it has wonderful notes. They've annotated most of the uh, scriptures in the whole Bible, all 66 books, wonderful. If you don't have one, get one. You'll be glad you did. This is the note from Romans 3.9. This is the direct quote from that study Bible. I read this, and it says this, and I thought, well, this is uncanny. It's just what I'm talking about. What the Lord's been dealing with me about. All the world is under sin. And yet sin is considered an archaic topic in our secular society. It's not hard to guess why. Vice is something done against oneself. Crime is something done against society or an individual. But sin is against God. Since modern culture is essentially atheistic, sin has become a meaningless term. Isn't that something? Again, I forgot to mention, I was reminded while I was reading, my notes are on uh, Uversion app. The notes are there right now if you go to the Uversion app and just open it up, go to more at the bottom, click more, click events, find our church, got my note, and you can, I got a lot more in my notes than I can ever get to, I can tell today. How many hear me? But you can read a lot there, so I encourage you to follow along with me. So again, you know, we can say I'm basically a good person, but without Christ. How many know the Bible says I'm in sin? You say, well, I haven't really done anything that's all that bad. And because God loves me, He's going to kind of wink and overlook at my faults and my flaws. But that's not what the Bible teaches. How many hear me? In fact, the Scripture says, Jesus' half-brother James said this in James 2.10. Listen to this. For a person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. Scripture says to break one is to break them all. We've got a big challenge today. We've taken the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, off of the walls of our, our civic institution. We used to have them on the walls of my of my school when I was a, when I was a senior in high school. 
and a junior in high school, the math teacher, she had, she had the Ten Commandments. When I looked to my left, there's the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not, you know, this. I mean, the whole thing. I'm a, and so, you know, you just kind of, your mind's wandering. You look over there. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I've been doing that. Well, yeah. How many know the Ten Commandments don't save you? They show you what you are. The problem in culture today is we've taken them out of our sight, out of our view, off of the walls of our civic institutions, out of our schools. Uh, the law never was intended to save us. The law shows us what we are. And, and the law shows people who are, who are really, really depraved at heart what standards are so you can kind of live together with some sanity. And without them, how many know we don't do well? We're showing that as a, as a nation. I think today I heard one of these ladies on the news or one of the people in Dayton, Ohio said either the 249th or 250th shooting in America this year. Friends, we need those Ten Commandments. They're the moral laws of a holy God. How many hear me? The Scripture says that all of us are sinners. Just listen as I read this. Romans 3, 9. Well, then should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? The Apostle Paul's talking to the Jewish race. Not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jew or Gentile, are under the power of sin. And friend, that includes me and you. Excuse me, you, our children, our grandchildren, our friends, our relatives, our neighbors, the people we work with. If I don't know Jesus, I'm under the, I'm in this state called sin. How many hear me? And sin is separation from God. Uh, Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad? When He freed us from the penalty of our sin. Romans 6.23 The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. Romans 5.12 When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. Watch this. So death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. Now, now you read, you know, I sang the little song when I was a little boy. Red and yellow, black and white. All are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. You could also say red and yellow, black and white, all are sinful in His sight. Is it true? So it's, it's a sobering day when you come to terms with who you are. Again, I've mentioned the Scripture so many times, but Jeremiah perhaps said it best, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's the state of humanity in our normal state, born from our mother's womb. That is the default of life. We're sinners. Uh, G, uh, David said after, after uh, the prophet came to him and showed his sin with Bathsheba, Psalm 51, verse 5, he said, For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. What does that mean? That means the moment, I, moment I'm born, I'm a fallen person. And the trajectory of life is not going straight to heaven because God loves me. No, God loves me and, the, and He loves me so much that He wants to change the trajectory of life. Instead of hitting hell, we can hit heaven. If somewhere in life there's a pass and we make Jesus Lord. Jesus Christ is the only person that can forgive sin. Yes or no? I've got to skip a few things. Let me ask you a question. Has there ever been a time in your life? Now, this is really important. 
for me and you. Has there ever been a time in your life when you felt guilty of personal sin? Do you know that's really important to know? Really, has there been a, a time for you that you agonized over who you are? You're just wrong. And you've disobeyed God. If you answer no to that, you may not be a Christian. You can't know the wonder of forgiveness until you've wrestled with the agony of your own guilt and sin. Did you hear me? There's a lot of people in America because of the way our culture is now. We don't grieve over our sin. We don't want to tell anybody anything's wrong with them. Can you ever remember that? I had a guy in my office, I, I've mentioned this a few times in the other building, he was sitting on my couch. And um, he was a veteran, he was suffering from PTSD. And he was sitting there, he said, you know, Pastor, I got to tell you, and I'd never had anybody say it just this way, he said, you know, when I come to your services, I just feel awful. And we were talking, we'd been talking about 20, 25 minutes in my office, and he said, he said, I got to be real with you. I'm feeling that same way just sitting on this couch. I just feel awful. And then I thought for a minute, what, what? I said, well, what are we doing in our services? Well, what's our praise and worship like? What's my pre Oh, I fi it finally don't. This guy's convicted of sin. When I was four years old, y'all, I used to, uh, my mother would take me to school five years old, four years old. Really, four years old, I'd be on the way to church. And see, she'd have some organ music playing in the car on the radio. No kidding, because the preacher would preach in it. And I start crying. She said, what you, my mama said, what you crying? I said, I don't know why I'm crying. I'm crying. I come to church and we had a piano on one side, the organ on the other side. They're playing that organ and I just weep my eyeballs out. And my mama said, what's wrong with you? I said, I don't know what's wrong with me. And you know, it went on for a long time and finally I said, Mom, I think I need, I, I, I think I need Jesus. She took me to the pastor and I was just weepy and crying and, and he said, his name was F.O. Legrand. That was his name. Big old guy. And he leaned down my little person. He said, what is it, son? And I said, and I said, I want Jesus. And he asked me one question. He said, what is sin? And I said, I don't know. And he wouldn't pray with me because I couldn't tell him what sin was. Now I came to Jesus when I was eight years old. I fell away from God. But you know, conviction came. And in my late teens... I cry when I tell you. Conviction over my personal guilt. Over how I treated people. Over the way I treated my parents. Over the lies that I told. Over the things I stole. Over the things I did. I felt grieved. I didn't realize then, but if you ever feel that way, it's God the Father drawing you. And that's the most wonderful feeling, even though it's horrible, that you'll ever have in life. When you grieve over your mistakes and, and are guilty because of the things that you're doing, it shows the Holy Spirit hovering over your life. If you can do things that you know hurt other people, hurt yourself, and perhaps even hurt God, and have no conscience, it's proof positive the Holy Spirit's not working in your life. 
Jesus said, no man can come to me except the Father draw him. How many hear me? So can you identify a time in your life, seriously, when you grieved over your own sin, your own faults, your own mistakes, your own failures? I did. I can remember. And you know what? The grace of God came, cleansed me from my sin, took the guilt and the shame away. How many know shame's a big deal today? People are committing suicide today because they're publicly shamed. Jesus also takes your shame. Are you glad? Number two, I'm, got a, I'm, I'm doing okay. Sin cannot enter God's presence. And because we're all sinners with hearts that want to do what God says is sin, we must be changed before we can go to heaven. That's the second truth we've got to know. Sin cannot enter God's presence. If I say I'm a believer, but I'm actively, regularly, without repentance, participating in sin, I cannot go into the presence of God, even though I say I'm a Christian. How many hear me? See, this is hard to say, but it's true. Here, listen to John, the Apostle John, the last apostle to live. He was the last one to die. First John 1. This is the message we've heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in Him at all. So we, we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness, doing the same things we've always done. He says we're not practicing truth. And then listen to this. This is tough to read. But my friends, the trajectory of life for a person who doesn't know the Lord, who's just like me and you, all of us are the same, who's never made, met Jesus Christ as Savior. This is, the, this is where the end of life is. Revelation 21 verse 8. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, that's really popular in America today, idol worshipers and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. That's tough. Revelation 21, 27, same chapter. Nothing, excuse me, evil. And this is speaking of a city called the New Jerusalem that's in heaven. When you get there, you'll go into a city called the New Jerusalem. And he says here, nothing evil will be allowed to enter nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Wow. What is idolatry? Idolatry is when you're using anything other than Jesus to meet a legitimate need in your life. Some people, money is their idol. We don't have idols on the street corners in America like you do. Been to India many times. They have idols. Just about every street's got an idol somewhere. Somebody's putting flowers or fruit there. No, we don't have idols like that, but you know what? We have idols. Some people's idol is their job, is their esteem. Some people's idol is money. Some people's idol is, if they're young, their girlfriend, their trophy wife, their trophy husband. I don't know. A lot of, you know what? A lot of people as you age and have children, their children become their idols. They spend all of their time. You know, and don't even spend enough time with their spouse, spend time with their children. Whatever you use to meet some use to meet a legitimate needs an idol. Drinking can be an idol. Drug use could be an idol. Pornography could be an idol. Sex could be an idol. Immorality could be an idol. Just being used to meet a legitimate need. How many hear me? 
Revelation 22, 14, blessed are those who wash their robes. They'll be permitted to enter through the gates of the city, the city of New Jerusalem, and eat from the fruit of the tree of life. Outside the city are the dogs in Eastern culture. The worst thing you could call a person was a dog. Now, we got dogs as pets and friends. But they think dogs are surreal and sorry. And they think if you call a person a dog, you can't say anything worse. So he says here, outside the city are dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, murderers, the idol worshipers, and all who love to live a lie. Wow. Now, what is it? Why, why, am I, why am I saying this? My friends, we have the idea today that because God loves us, because of his love, I go to heaven. I don't go to heaven only because of the love of God. I go to heaven and you get to go to heaven because God's justice against sin has been dealt with in my life. And God sent His Son, Jesus. How many know it? To cleanse my sin. How many hear me? Number three, Jesus saves us in our sin and from our sin. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, God saved you by His grace when you believe. And you can't take this credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. Yes or no? So we're saved by grace. We're saved by what we believe, but what we believe also produces a changed lifestyle. 1 John 2, 2. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the world. Romans 5, 6. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us. Listen to that. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Isn't that awesome? Now, this is the Bible teaches it very clearly. All of us are on a road to hell because we're depraved from birth. But what did God do? God sent Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh. The Bible says that Jesus pre-existed the earthly body that he, that he was born into. He pre-existed in heaven. He's the second member. God the Father, God the Son. There's God the Holy Spirit. He gained town from heaven. Mary, his mother, never had sex with a man. She was a virgin and she got pregnant with God himself. That makes Jesus an unusual man. Jesus never sinned. Never said anything wrong. Never did anything immoral. Never lied. Never cheated. Never lusted. He had every temptation, the Bible says, that we have. But he never yielded to it. Why? Because he was God in the flesh. That's incredible. That's what the Bible teaches. What does that make Jesus? That makes, makes Jesus the, the only person worthy and able to take the sins of mankind and pay them for man in his place because Jesus had no sins to pay for himself. One thing that we don't realize that God is not only love and holy, he's also just. 
God has to be fair to everybody, including his enemies. Satan left heaven because he rebelled against God. He was kicked out of heaven, and the Bible says that Satan one day will be found in a place called the lake of fire along with the fallen angels and people who listen to him and never accept Jesus as Savior. Yes or no? It's very clear. But see, God would not be fair to the devil if he just forgave us before he, because he loved us. His forgiveness of us is based on justice. A man got us into sin. A man has to get us out of sin. Jesus was the God-man who never sinned. And that's why the scripture says, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he made him who knew no sin. One translation says to be the sin sacrifice for us that we may be made right with God through him. See, God loves me. And that's the reason my good works can never get me to heaven. I can't be good enough because my heart is wrong. I'm a sinner. I need someone to pay for my sin. I can't pay for them myself. If I pay for them myself, then I have to go to hell. I'm doomed there. If I want to go to heaven, somebody has to go in my stead, pay my sin price, go where I'm supposed to pay the penalty for my sin, and stay there until God's satisfied that my sin debt's paid. His name is Jesus. When Jesus died, the Bible says he became our sin. When when Jesus died, he was doomed for us all. God turned his back on his own son. And Jesus became every lie, every wrong thought, every nasty thing that you and I have ever done when he hung on the cross. And he did it as our substitute. So we could be made right with God. It's not just love, it's love based on justice. And when I make Jesus Lord, my, he cleanses my sin. My heart is changed. I become a new person. Yes or no? Now here's the telltale sign. When Jesus changes your life, He forgives and cleanses your sin. I remember the day that came to Him. I was, uh, because of my personality, I get on myself worse than anybody. I am my own worst critic. And if you're that got that personality, you'd nod your head and say, yeah, that's me. I'm my own worst critic. And you know what? When Jesus cleansed me, I had to accept the fact that He loves me even though I've done some pretty bad stuff. His blood cleansed me and he acts towards me as if I'd never done wrong. <sighs> the telltale sign this has really happened is it changes how we live. And this is what John said in 1 John 3. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows they're righteous. Even as Christ is righteous. What does he say? When you come to Jesus and your heart is chased, you don't want it, you don't want the wrong things deep inside. And when you try to do the same things you did before you knew Jesus, there's a scratch inside. There's a rub inside. There's something inside that says, don't do that. Huh? That means if you're living with your boyfriend or girlfriend, you're having sex outside of marriage, when you make Jesus Lord and you try to do that again, there's a scratch. There's a rub. If you have a business and, and deceit is the thing that holds the business up, you almost tell the customer all the truth, but you leave the really important lines out that stick them for a lot of money for a long period of time and they never know it till they get in the contract. If you're, if you're doing that, 
Before you come to Jesus, you come to Jesus, suddenly there's an honesty, there's an integrity. The honesty of all the universe is inside of you. And you can never lie. Even when I was a sinner, my daddy told me not to lie. I could hardly lie because he didn't lie. But you know, when you come to Jesus, he's a truth teller. And you got to be bare bones honest about yourself. How many here? So it changes who you are. So he says, but when people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil uh, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they're the children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Wow. That's tough. And there's a lot of church folk. You know, can I be honest? There's a lot of people that don't know the Lord that are a lot nicer than a lot of church people I've met. Wow. That's a shock. Now here's, I need to straighten this up a little bit. When you come to Jesus, He cleanses the desire for wrong inside. And, and your heart becomes clean. But see, your body, your mind, your emotions, they've been, they've been exposed to that heart of sin for a long time. And they still want to do those things that are wrong. How many know it? Huh? You'll still have an appetite for things that are immoral. Still have an appetite to lie, to cheat, to steal, to gossip, to defame someone, to hold offense towards someone. But see, even those, those propensities may be in your mind, may be in your body. There's something inside saying, let it go. Don't do that anymore. Ask God to help you. And if you'll go to the scriptures and get our minds renewed, how many know it changes us a little bit at a time? Is that true? My, 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 my. So when you come to Jesus, he saves us in our sin and then from our sin. If I continue doing what I did and never change one bit, I just add Jesus to my life and I never change. I'm like the person in India that I met who took me to the Hindu temple. I've told you the story many times. And I saw some of, they got 330 million Hindu gods. They had a bunch of them all around the perimeter of the, of the temple I went into with bare feet, nasty floor. But here's Jesus right here, along with all of the rest of the false gods. Here's Jesus. And see, if I say I know Jesus, but I never change my life, I'm like the Hindu person who says, yeah, I'll take Jesus. He'll just be another one of my idols. No, you've not changed. Yes or no? Woo-wee. So I'm going to skip point four, let you look at that. The notes will be online. I got four questions as we close real quickly here. Number one, again. Has there been a time in your life where you were seriously convicted of personal sin? Now here's a challenge. Here's a challenge. Once you're saved, are you always saved for the rest of your life regardless of how you live, what you do, and what you get involved in? Some people believe that. Some people once you're, believe once you're saved as a child or a teenager or whatever, and you come to Christ, but then you live a life of immorality. And you've got four or five people that you're having sex with besides your wife. Is that person going to heaven? But they made Jesus Lord when they were young. Certainly they're a Christian. No, they're not. No, they're not. Y'all come on up. <laughs> Thank you. How many hear me? 
No. Has there been a time in your life you're seriously convicted of personal sin? That is, you're doing things you know you shouldn't do, and there's conviction. You know, can I say right now, and I'll get to it in a minute, number two is, have you had a definite salvation experience where you relinquish control of your life to Jesus? See, that's different. How many know it's about control? It's not adding Jesus to what I do. He transforms who I am. Have you been transformed? Are you washed? We used to sing a song when I was a little boy. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Have you came to Jesus for the cleansing flow? Are you washed in the blood? That means are you changed? Has your life been transformed? Are you still using F-bombs every other word? If you are, you're probably not saved. If you can curse and use expletives, par none, with no conviction, I challenge you, my friend. If you look at pornography, if you can commit sexual immorality, if you can lie and cheat with no conscience, you're not saved. Grace saves and grace transforms. Have you had a definite salvation? Number three, experience. Number three, has there been a definite awakening of conscience in your life since you've been born again? Has there been lifestyle changes as a result? So number four, do you experience freedom from guilt now and... Do you confess your sins as they happen in your daily life? There's been teaching in recent years that says that because of the grace of God, every sin I've ever committed, past, present, and future, is under the blood of Jesus and it's negative even to bring up sin in your life now. That is a reprobate teaching, it's wrong. My experience is if I'm just a little bit off in something, he'll deal with me. How many hear me? If I have a little bit of a cranky attitude towards somebody, God, what you, what you doing? What's going on with you and that person? He deals with me in my private time. If I say a little, something a little bit off, I have to go to the person and say, I shouldn't have said that. It was wrong. I've had to go to Susan. I have to go to my kids. I've had to go to people I work with all my life. And you know, the closer you get to Jesus, listen, the brighter He shines. The brighter He shines, the less margins you have when you walk with Him. And it's not a bondage, it's a freedom. It's a liberty. It's a joy. It's a peace.